Hmm. This is a special day, more than one reason. Uh, Bud's birthday, 9-11. Also, it's a special day because this is the anniversary of Bruce Clutter's being ordained as an elder. 1983, on this day, Bruce Clutter became an elder. And, you know, that was in the period of time in which we were transitioning from a pastor-led church to an elder-led church. And Bruce was the very first true elder of this congregation. And I want to say this man has brought stability. This man has brought a sense of security to this congregation that few others have carried. And he was 28. (laughs) And at 28, this man had the wisdom of a 60-year-old. Now, I'm not sure how wise he is now, but back then... The wisdom of the sick. Aren't we thankful for Bruce? Now, you know, it's interesting. I looked, and the other elders were all ordained in in November. Joel Vazanin, 1127-88. Jim Grinnell, 1127-88. Dave Troutman, 1117-96. Bill Sullivan, 11-7. So there's something about November. And who knows what will happen this year in November. But aren't we thankful for these men who take seriously what it means to shepherd the flock? I don't know how many times in elders' meeting some burden has been there. And it has been said, God has given us these sheep to shepherd. And the responsibility is heavily felt as prayerfully as they seek the will of God. Aren't we thankful for that? You know, I also want to say, we're, I'm thankful that Dallas and Mrs. Henry are here from Maine. You know, some years ago I spoke at uh, Oxford, Maine in the church. Never met Dallas before. But this couple really has had a significant impact on that state. Now they're living in Broken Arrow, and they've been worshiping with us. We're so happy to have you with us. May the Lord bless you and bring healing to you, Dallas, because you need it, brother. Not in your mind or spirit, but in your body. We thank God for you. Something else I want to say. Wasn't it sweet today when we had this women's trio for a while during the song service? It's beautiful, wasn't it? I thought, let that go on more often. Maybe they should do a solo or a special number some Sunday. It's interesting as you begin reading the epistles that Paul wrote to the various churches... The manner in which he addresses each one of them. In most of them, he begins with something about the Lord and the marvelous grace God's given us, and then quickly transitions into a compliment to the church for the various strengths that each one has. With Romans, it is very strong. Corinthians, sort of a backhanded compliment. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all of them God commends the church for its strength, the characteristics that make it what it is. This past week I've had several conversations with people about one of the blessed strengths of Tulsa Christian Fellowship. That wonderful trait is this. We're a family. God has made us a family. One of the elders recently commented on the blessings of being that kind of family. You know, as you leave the building, 
there's that sign that says you're now entering the mission field. And I'll tell you, this church really exemplifies that. Remember some weeks ago we had featured some of the things that our people were doing out there in the world to serve Christ. Three spoke from the pulpit, others were in the bulletin, but we couldn't even include them all. It's astounding the amazing ministries that are taking place in this community and throughout the, the United States as well as the world that individuals in this church are fulfilling according to the call of God upon their lives. And on Sunday morning, we come together as a family. And as a family, we encourage one another and we pray for empowerment and we minister to one another. And as a result of the nurture that we receive, when we come together as a family, we can go out there into the world and face the enemy and bring glory to God. What a blessed thing we have in this body as a family. And indeed, if we really... Look at the characteristics of the New Testament church. That is one of the outstanding characteristics. The very essential component of relationship. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. We feel that's what God has led us to do. Now as we start to think about relationship, of course, we can't go very far without saying that the most important relationship of all begins with Jesus Christ. Here in America, we are such an individualistic society. We, this individual, this individual, that. We resist anything that robs us of our individualism. And sad to say, in the church, we see that individualism manifesting itself in ways that is not appropriate. But there's one way in which it is appropriate, and that's the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, the people cried out to Peter, What shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. I remember in World War II, there was a particular sailor that uh, was talking about his relationship with Jesus. Oh, I know I'll go to heaven because my mother prays for me. That won't do it. <laughs> Your mother can pray all day long, but if you don't respond to the call of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no hope for you in eternity. And so the relationship that we have begins in the relationship that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ. We give ourselves to him. We're immersed into Christ. We receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And together we live that life in the Spirit because we have life in him. And that's where it all begins. How many times have you met someone and you've never seen them before in your entire life and yet there's just immediately a sense of something that you were one? The Holy Spirit in you is recognizing the Holy Spirit, recognizing himself really in that other person. Relationship. But it all begins in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, often at the end of a sermon, you offer an invitation. But I want to say right here in the beginning, if you do not have that relationship with Jesus Christ, why not? Why not today? Why not if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you believe as we observe at the Lord's table today that he went to the cross and paid for your sins? 
Why not be immersed into Jesus Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and begin to know this wonderful life lived in relationship with him? That's where it begins. That's where it starts. If you haven't taken that step, let me urge upon you to do so. One way that we do share life together is participating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the the gifts the Holy Spirit has given us. By the way, we must never confess the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the Greek word doron. And the gifts the Spirit gives us, that's charismata. They're two different concepts. When you become a Christian, when you're baptized into Jesus, you receive the doron, the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. And then the Holy Spirit imparts to each one according to his will. Paul says severally as he wills the various, various gifts. And Paul discusses those gifts. First of all, we note in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, which is probably the most familiar one. And in that he makes three points. Number one, the Holy Spirit distributes to each one as he wills. I don't decide. Each one as he wills. I know sometimes in the past we've had classes on how to be a prophet or how to do this, how to do the other. Baloney. The Holy Spirit does it or it doesn't get done. Secondly, the charismatic gifts are given for the benefit of the entire church. And you read that argument that Paul puts forth in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and also in Jude. These things are given, as he said, to profit with all. That's the purpose, not for the one who has them, but for the benefit of the body. And then thirdly, no one has them all. No one has them all. We are individual recipients, and we need one another. And then in Romans 12, Paul talks about the functional gifts, and he makes the very same point that he made in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Just as we have many members in one body, all members do not have the same function, so we are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, and so on and so on, exercise it. You know it. You know the passage. But the point being, again, none of us have it all. It seems as if God has made every Christian deficient. In our deficiency, he has given someone else with the strength to meet our deficiency. He does not allow any of us to have it all. We don't have all the same function. We're individually members of one another, and each of us should function in the gifts and the role that God has given us. Last Sunday, when Bill brought that marvelous word concerning humility, and uh, he highlighted a passage that constantly haunts me. Who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words, you only have what you've been given. But as I thought about humility, there was another burden that came on me, and that is responsibility. Whatever gifts God has given me has put upon me a responsibility to use those to function in them or else he wouldn't have given them to me. It is my responsibility to be everything that God has intended for me to be, to use every gift that he has imparted to me in order that his will might be done. And so we depend on one another 
I want to ask you, please function the gifts God's given you. <laughs> we need it. I need it. The church needs it. And frankly, you'll be less than fulfilled if you don't. It's important that we function the gifts that God has given us. This morning, though, I think our Lord would want us to rejoice in something even deeper than, than the gifts. And that is koinonia. We translate koinonia fellowship. In a way, it's sad how that word has come to mean so little. Sometimes it means a church dinner, party, whatever. Now, I'm not going to say one thing new this morning. Everything I've, I'm saying I've said before, others have said it before. Matter of fact, most of you could from this point on bring the teaching. <laughs> but let's just remind ourselves. It's important for us to realize and experience koinonia. Each time I think of this subject, Ephesians 4.16 always comes to mind, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to its proper working and so on. Years ago I began to ponder that verse, how does a joint supply? We, a joint doesn't is not a, something in our body that nourishes anything it doesn't supply the Greek word is hafe unfortunately the NIV I believe it is translates that word as ligament this version most translated as joint if you go back and research the use of that word in Greek literature you find it used in a variety of ways and one way it is frequently used is feeling, contact, touch. I think that's the sense that's here. Anytime two Christians are in one another's presence, anytime we touch each other, so to speak, something mutually flows. Every time in your pres I'm in your presence, something from you flows into me and something out of me flows into you. Not aware of it. Sometimes we are, but not always. But isn't that a beautiful thing to think about? We talk about the word kononia. Now, years ago, I, as a matter of fact, I've used this illustration other places many times that Kononia has the idea of mutual dependency of life. And the illustration, the best I can think of, is the heart and the lungs. The heart pumps blood to the lungs, and the lungs oxygenate the blood. And if the lungs don't oxygenate the blood, oxygenate the blood, the heart dies. If the heart doesn't pump, the lungs die. Mutual dependence. Now, years ago, I used this illustration, and I said the lungs oxidize the blood. Uh, Lynn Clutter, a dear sister who loves me, so I won't make, wouldn't make the mistake again, <laughs> through Bruce said, oxygenate, not oxidize. <laughs> Thank you, sister. <laughs> In other words, it doesn't make the blood rusty. That's oxidize. <laughs> Oxygenates the blood. But isn't that, to me, that's a tremendous illustration of the meaning of koinonia each imparting life to the other. And if that life is not imparted, there's an element of death that seems to come in to our lives. Have you ever thought about the fact that we are Tulsa 
Christian Koinonia Fellowship. <laughs> Willard Hudson talks about the, or dear Willard, the late Willard, talked about the time when this congregation was first born. Most of you know the story, perhaps all of you know the story. When Bill Sanders, as the Baptist of Brookside Baptist Church, became involved with the thousands of young people on Restless Ribbon up and down Peoria and began to evangelize, and some of them got saved, and they started attending the Baptist Church, and it upset the Baptists because they didn't look like Baptists, didn't act like Baptists, didn't dress like Baptists. Not only that, Baptists start by sitting on the back row. These sat on the front row first. Caused a lot of upset. Not only that, Bill Sanders, while still in Kentucky, another Baptist minister had laid hands on him, and Bill had prayed in tongues. Now, Bill never taught this, never advocated it, but in his private devotions, he prayed in tongues. And there was a teacher of the junior high girls who had also had this experience. And so she began to talk to the junior high girls class about it. And the parents got upset. And she said, no one knows to this day how she found out about Bill. But she says, our pastor does that. Now, the Baptist deacons wanted to fire Bill because he was bringing in all the hippies. But you can't fire a Baptist preacher for getting people to pray the sinner's prayer. And so they were in a quandary. But now they had something. And so on a Wednesday night, Bill showed up. And boy, the parking lot was full. What a prayer meeting. But it was a meeting to fire Bill, and they fired him. Most of you know that story. And so wondering what to do, he and his family went off to California uh, to spend time with Ralph Wilkerson. But... Members of that church that had been involved with Bill on that ministry down on Peoria said, this is what God has called us to do. Just because our church wants us to stop it, we can't. So they rented a Catholic daycare center at 41st and Riverside and began to meet every Sunday. Seven families. And after a while, they said, you know, we didn't intend to, but it looks like we've started a church. <laughs> and Willard said, the, the, well, a church, we have to take up an offering. So they used a coffee can with Crayolas in it, dumped out the Crayolas to take up the offering. After a few weeks, they said, well, we are becoming a church. What are we going to call ourselves? All kinds of ideas were presented. Willard said the charismatic Baptist, every name they came up with had Baptist in it. <laughs> and finally someone said, well, you know, what about Tulsa Christian Fellowship? Well, until we decide on a name, that's what we'll call ourselves. <laughs> I think God was not asleep. Because that's what we really are. We are not an institution, are we? We are a family. We're a fellowship. We are Tulsa Christian Koinonia as we bask together. And oh, how beautiful it is to see the relationships in this church, the love, the care, the concern. This past week, while I was driving one day, I turned on the radio. I, had, I don't remember. I was going from two points. And uh, I found myself listening to a Christian radio program, and the man spoke briefly about 
Job's wife, and I didn't get to hear everything he said, just a little snippet, but what he said began to move my thoughts down a certain path concerning that woman. You know the story. Job was the most perfect man that lived. The Bible said he was blameless, kept all the law exactly. Satan appeared before God, and God said, What do you think about my servant Job? Well, no wonder he's a whore. A whore? Yes. <laughs> he serves you because all you ever do is bless him. You built a wall around him. God knew Job. And so he said, Touch everything he has, don't touch him. And you know the story. All of his cattle was destroyed, flocks destroyed, crop destroyed, all of his servants killed but one. And finally, his ten children were killed as a strong wind came and blew down the house in which these grown children were meeting together as brothers and sisters. Satan came back before God and God said, I told you so. I know Job. Satan said, let me touch his body. God knew Job. Touch his body. And then a horrible disease from the sole of his foot to the top of his head covered with boils. He sat in the ashes and scraped himself. And his wife said, why do you maintain your integrity? Why not just curse God and die? As you read most of the commentaries, they say things such as Job's wife was the voice of Satan. Some using Latin terms describe her in a terrible way. Think about this woman. She had seen her husband serve God faithfully her entire life. And as his wife, no doubt, she too had served God faithfully, at least throughout their married life. And she had seen the loss of their income totally go, their property gone. And not only that, her ten children killed. And then she saw her dear husband suffering. Why don't you just curse God and die? I wonder what was really in her heart. When my dear wife died, in the room, Bob and Shirley McWilliams were at the foot of the bed. Diana and I were each beside Barb, Diana at one ear and I at the other ear, both of us whispering, we love you, we love you. She momentarily opened her eyes and looked to the upper right corner of the room, and she was gone. Now, most of you know that my dear wife, throughout most of her life, suffered pain was almost a constant companion. And as I left that hospital room, 
and began to drive down Lewis at about 21st. Huge hole in my heart, but a contradictory feeling was there. Thanksgiving. Her suffering is over. Her race has been run. I wonder if something like that had been in the heart of Job's wife. His suffering is over. And you know, after that, <laughs> all these men came called Job's comforters. How could they be comforters? They said, you know, you're hiding sin and you're not admitted. One guy was just like the bloviate. He talked forever and never said anything. We don't read anything about Mrs. Job's comforters, do we? I'll tell you what, if Mr. and Mrs. Job had been members of Tulsa Christian Fellowship, Mrs. Job would have been surrounded by comforters. That's the way God, in his grace, has made this church. This morning, what I want to stir in our hearts is gratitude. None of us has made this church what it is. We're blessed recipients of what the Lord has given. We see in the early church, Koinonia displayed in so many ways comfort and care. Paul wrote in Romans 12, Rejoice with those that rejoice, weep with those that weep. That happens here. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. That happens here. Now we who are strong ought to bear the infirmities, the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. You know, we don't even have to be taught to do that, do we? The Holy Spirit has done something so beautifully unique in this church. It is our nature to live that way. Thanks be to God. Christian philosopher Aristotides wrote in 125 AD, wrote this. <clears throat> 